1: We are six weeks into the first of Donald Trump's trials. His adult children have testified. The former president has testified. The prosecution is resting, and now his defense is up to bat. Trump has four high-profile criminal cases coming up, but this trial is a civil one. New York Attorney General Letitia James says Trump and his adult sons inflated the value of their properties to lenders and insurance companies. That's fraud, and not just a little fraud. The claims are
0: that they inflated these assets wildly, sometimes to a factor of 23.
1: Barbara McQuaid is a law professor at the University of Michigan and a former U.S. attorney for Michigan's Eastern District. This
0: is, as Attorney General Letitia James has said, really largely a documents case. Uh, On the one hand, you see what these properties are worth, and then you see representations to uh, lenders and insurers describing those values at much higher numbers. But the testimony is important because it helps to understand how those discrepancies arose.
1: The testimonies. Prosecutors questioned Trump's sons, Don Jr. and Eric, co-defendants in the case. Ivanka Trump also testified though she's legally off the hook since she left the family business in 2017. But the most explosive testimony came from their father, the former president. It's important to know that the judge already ruled that Trump and his co-defendants were liable for fraud on at least one count. So now what's at stake is the punishment. The judge could order Trump to pay a hefty fine and could ban him from doing business in New York. So when Trump spent four hours answering prosecutors' questions, it got ugly.
0: I thought Donald Trump's outbursts against the judge were truly remarkable. Um, He said on the stand how the prosecutor is a hack and how the judge is biased and unfair. At one point, even when the judge asked Trump's lawyer to, could you please get your client under control, the response was, I will not violate my client's First Amendment rights, which is such an absurd response. I mean, in the courtroom, uh, there's no First Amendment right to say whatever you want to say. You're under oath to answer questions truthfully.
1: I'm thinking about the fact that Trump is also facing four criminal trials. And I'm wondering if you heard anything this week that would indicate how he may act in those cases as well.
0: This is really all just a performance for Donald Trump. This is a show to um, provide a false narrative to his supporters that he is a victim, uh, that he is being railroaded by prosecutors in the courts, and that he will continue to show that he is above the law. I think he anticipates that he will lose this case. And this way, he when, when he loses, he will be able to say to his supporters, see, I told you all along they had it in for me. And it really does make me wonder whether he won't use the same strategy in one or more of his trials, maybe all four of them.
1: Today on the show, brace yourself for the trials of Donald Trump. I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around.
0: This episode is brought to you by Discover. At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. terms and conditions apply.
1: So, before Donald Trump took the stand um, earlier this week, you tweeted that it was a lawyer's nightmare scenario that Trump needed to explain his fraud allegations without committing perjury. Did he do that?
0: So I don't know what the truth is here, but um, if you look at the evidence as as alleged in the very detailed complaint filed by the attorney general here that talks about these overstatements of value of properties, and then he comes in and testifies that those numbers were low. And so I think that he um, lacks credibility when he answers questions that way. And I think when a judge makes a finding, about whether the statements of financial worth were overstated, I think they're going to find based on the evidence that they were. Does that amount to perjury? I think uh, he he will defend himself by saying that that's his genuine belief.
1: (laughs) I mean, why would Trump testify at all? I mean, I understand the need to grandstand or um, that he's talking to a different audience other than who's in court. But he does have something to lose. So I'm wondering, what does he have to gain exactly by testifying?
0: Well, he's not testifying voluntarily. He was called as a witness by the attorney general. So they put him on the stand. Now, he does have an option, which is to, on a question-by-question basis, invoke his Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. And in fact, at his deposition in this case, he did exactly that hundreds of times. But I think that in this forum, he probably calculated that invoking the Fifth Amendment here so publicly would be a bad look for someone who's running for president. Unlike a criminal case where the fact that you invoke your Fifth Amendment right can't be used against you in any way, in a civil case, the judge can draw what's called an adverse inference against you. And so the judge could assume that because he declined to answer the question, the answer would have been bad for him.
1: So the former president has repeatedly shown up to court to sit in on the trial, even though he's not required to. Um, And again, he's also facing four criminal trials. I think it's fair to say he's enraged by all of the cases, but I'm wondering why do you think he's been so involved in this one? And, so clearly livid by by it
0: i don't know but I, I imagine that his whole identity is tied up in these properties and in his public persona as one of the richest people in the world and this case threatens to undermine that appearance and so i think he is there fighting hard and i think he is also there to create this circus like atmosphere i think he probably did what he wanted to do which was concede defeat in this civil case and fire up you know the strategy on appeal that this judge in his view quote had it in for him and that they were likely to lose but preserving his reputation in the court of public opinion of you know doing it his way and he he believes that these numbers are right and uh, you can't prove that he believed he was wrong and refusing to ever admit he was wrong. I think that was the calculus. And I think if that's the strategy, then he probably succeeded.
1: So as you've said, much of Trump's testimony revolved around defending his alleged wealth, right? Saying that his properties are actually undervalued, um, that their worth is far greater than what's even in his financial statements, the same statements that he's accused of fraudulently inflating. So what does it indicate to you that he appears to be doubling down in this way?
0: I think doubling down is really the only way Donald Trump can save face here and say to his uh, voters that um, I did nothing wrong. They're out to get me. It's a witch hunt. But just to demonstrate the absurdity of this, um, one of his properties was overvalued by a factor of 23 you know, in the, in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Certainly there is some room for differences of opinion in the valuation of real estate. Say, for example, you owned a home that was valued at $100,000 and you get different appraisers. Maybe some say it's 90,000. Maybe say, some say it's 110,000. But no one would believe that the value of that $100,000 home is $2.3 million. That, that's the kind of escalation we're seeing here and so for trump to come in and say oh it's it's accurate or in some instances it's actually undervalued or they fail to take into account the value the trump brand name adds is really ludicrous
1: you know what was interesting is that um his sons donald don jr and eric trump basically both testified that they deferred to their accountants um that they they weren't really directly involved in putting together the financial statements for the company Apparently guilty uh, of fraud for relying on my accountants to do, wait for it, accounting. The former president seemed to contradict some of that in his testimony, right? At one point, he said, I would look at financial statements, I would see them, and I would maybe on occasion have some suggestions.
0: I think it's important that he says he did look at them. You know, the idea that any of these three, by the way, weren't paying attention to these numbers when they were being uh, marked to, a you know, an inflated in, in at least one instance by a factor of 23 um, strikes me as unusual. Um, certainly accountants do their work. They pull together numbers um, and then they would have a final sign-off. If they are not looking at the numbers, they're not doing their jobs. I mean, they had high-level positions in the company, and there's a reason they have to sign off on them. If all they did was completely defer to the accountants, there'd be no reason for them to have to sign off on them. Trump, on the other hand, I think, wants to maintain the veneer that he's this hands-on businessman. And so for him to admit that I don't really look at the numbers, I just rely on the accountants, I think would be an admission he just couldn't live with. So I think he tried to walk a fine line there would say, oh, sure, I I looked at them sometimes. His defense more was that he doubled down on the numbers, that yes, I looked at them because they were right. And if anything, they were undervalued. And then his other line of defense is that um, the banks don't care anyway. And it's their job to do their due diligence. And if they thought there was something wrong with them, they should have said so. That, as a matter of law, the judge has already rejected. That is victim blaming. The reason you have to attest to a value is because it matters. It is a material representation. There are other borrowers out there who correctly assessed their worth. And as a result, they didn't get loans that you got. Um, So there was a competitive advantage obtained by the Trump organization by misrepresenting these things.
1: So on Monday, Trump rested after testifying for four hours. And the defense didn't cross-examine him. Why not?
0: Well, I would say there might be two reasons for that. One is, if I were his lawyer, I would just be so relieved to get him off the stand and be done. (laughs) Um, You know, stop talking uh, before you say something that is prosecutable uh, is one. If you cross-examine him, it also opens him up to redirect by the um, attorney general's office. So they may not want him to have to open his mouth again. The other reason is if they do want to use him as a witness in their defense, they can do that in their own case. They don't need to just cross examine him now, which limits them to the scope of the direct questions.
1: I mean, I have to say, I'm not surprised by Donald Trump's belligerent speech, I guess, because that's what we expect from him, at least in political spheres. But I'm wondering if you're surprised that it's happening in a court of law and that it could repeat in criminal cases.
0: I am surprised to see him use this uh, belligerent tone in court, but perhaps I shouldn't be. I mean, Donald Trump has shown us who he is for a long time, but I've never seen anything like it. I mean, certainly from time to time, a witness might get irritated by a question that's asked by the prosecutor and, you know, might Lose their temper a little bit, but typically their lawyer will call for a break and calm them down and try to get them to answer the questions, uh, because they see themselves as is doing themselves no favor. But um, you know, with with Trump, I, I know that many times his supporters, uh, you know, like it that he's sticking it to the man, and so maybe that kind of strategy can work for him at trial.
1: After the break, Trump won the presidency on his brand. Could this case destroy it forever? Something that's been very glaring in this trial is that both Trump and his attorneys have repeatedly criticized the judge. And on Monday, Trump attorney Alina Hubba suggested that the judge had decided the case, quote, before we even walked up the stairs.
0: good for the case. This judge decided this case and liability before we walked up those stairs i didn't have a shot
1: so right now we're sitting here doing a whole dance and the only thing they want are facts that are bad for trump this is That's a bench trial the judge is the only person making a ruling here what do you make of this decision to repeatedly attack the judge
0: i've never heard anything like this with the statements that she made about how the judge is bullying her and you know being mean to her and judges own their courtrooms. They get to kind of call the shots in the courtroom. And so to go outside, uh, one, to complain about it it usually falls on deaf ears. But to then go outside while the case is pending and say these things publicly is just absolutely unheard of, especially because, um, you know, the judge still has to decide the case and has can control your destiny to some extent. So um, really outrageous, really um unheard of. And it, it really just supports that theory that she's more about winning the PR battle than she is about winning the case.
1: So Trump's team hasn't just targeted the judge. They've also gone after his clerk, Alison Greenfield. And the, the attacks actually on Greenfield are what prompted the judge to issue multiple gag orders against Trump. Who is Greenfield and why is she being targeted?
0: So I think the only reason that Greenfield is being targeted is because of this photo that she posted on social media depicting her with Chuck Schumer. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with someone posing in a photo with the senator for their state, but I think the Trump team pounced on this as an opportunity to portray her as a Democrat and uh, someone who is biased against the case. Um, I I don't know that there's any real basis whatsoever to suggest that she is uh, unfair or that she even has any influence in the case as the law clerk. You know, law clerk has a job to serve the judge, um, to help the judge in court, to uh, do research when the judge needs it, to look things up on the computer when the judge needs it, um, to pass notes about the case, about did you want to take a break, about other matters going on inside chambers. And so I think the Trump team has exploited this photo to suggest that there's something improper here about the role of the clerk, that she is somehow pulling the puppet strings and that she is part of this you know, deep state operation that is um, hosting this, this witch hunt for Donald Trump.
1: Yeah. I, the whole thing about the notes, the notes that they've taken issue with, that a law clerk would pass notes to the judge, that has stood out as very bizarre to me.
0: I've seen this in court before that sometimes lawyers will exploit the information gap that exists between lay people and people who spend a lot of time in court. I've seen lawyers, for example, say, in my 40 years of practicing law, this is the most outrageous thing I've ever seen. And you think, yourself, are you kidding me? This goes on all the time. But jurors don't know that. And so Uh, you know, you start seeing them nodding along, but that something's outrageous when it's incredibly routine. And so the same thing, this idea of a clerk passing notes to the judge, I suppose if someone has not been in court before, they may not realize that. And so to the extent they hear Trump's lawyers saying this and getting outraged about it and putting it on the record, it may uh, carry some weight with them. They may see that as evidence of improper behavior when I think anybody who's ever spent a minute in court knows that clerks do that all the time. Sometimes they whisper in their ear. It's gamesmanship. And um, it's, uh, you know, just again, I think an affront to the rule of law.
1: So far, the judge has issued two gag orders against Trump and his attorneys. Um, Trump has been fined roughly $15,000 for violating these orders. First off, how common are these types of gag orders? Not common. Um, You
0: know, sometimes in a very high profile case, a judge might just sort of blanketly put a gag order in place against both parties because they don't want the case to be tried in the press. They want it to be tried in the courtroom. This case is a little different just because Donald Trump is running for president. And I think judges in all of his cases have been really reluctant to be too restrictive in preventing him from talking about the cases. But here, when the judge went after his clerk, I think that really upset him because, you know, a a clerk is not a person who seeks fame, who seeks to be well known, but they are really essential to the proper functioning of the court. And we have seen sometimes when uh, Donald Trump uh, casts aspersions on people, they become targets. So I think the judge has made it a point not to make statements about his staff in an effort to protect them, But, but really highly unusual that you would have to enter an order for singling out staff. I've, I've really never seen a party or a lawyer go after staff like that before.
1: So the prosecution rests this week. Do you think that they've proved their case?
0: Well, I've always been reluctant to make a decision about a case when I haven't been in the courtroom because we see reporting, but we don't see every single statement. What we really see is the more interesting and the more explosive, um, you know, like um, the Trump brothers and Donald Trump himself testifying. I don't know that either any of those three really move the needle at all either way. I think this case is largely a documents case, though, and I think the accountant saying that they relied on the Trump organization to get these numbers is going to matter. I think that regardless of um, the baggage that he has, Michael Cohen's testimony is going to be persuasive, where he says, they asked me to reverse engineer the numbers. And so when we gave those numbers to the accountants, they were inflated. So, um, you know, from outside appearances, it looks like they have proved their case. But again, I'm reluctant to really make a representation because unlike the judge, who has seen every minute of this case, heard every word of testimony, uh, I have had to rely on what's reported in the press to do that.
1: Given what we know about or what we've discussed about Trump possibly using this trial as a PR move, that they've, you know, forfeited this case, in a sense. If the judge indeed rules against Donald Trump, how big of a blow would it be to him, do you think?
0: Well, you know, he's got the appeal that's left. So I think that uh, we'll we'll see that come next. Um, But if he were to lose on appeal and lose his properties, not only would he have to pay $250 million, which is a significant amount of money, but he'd have to remove his name from all of these properties. I think it'd be a big blow for him. His father had um, a real estate empire, but it was limited to Queens. And I think getting into Manhattan, uh, which is considered sort of the you know the fancy, sophisticated part of New York, I think has always been a big part of his image. And so I think it would be very humbling for him to uh, to lose those properties and lose the ability to, uh, you know, do business in Manhattan.
1: Right. I mean, he did testify at one point that he became president because of my brand. Yeah. So it seems that a great deal of his identity is at stake, at least.
0: I, I think a huge part of his persona is all about his brand. You know, think about the show The Apprentice, where he created this image of himself only better, uh, you know, of being wealthy and a decisive businessman. It certainly obscured all of his failed ventures, like his casinos and his university. You know, his name on these big, splashy buildings is very much a part of his identity as uh, an uber-successful businessman that propelled himself to the presidency, Uh, self-made billionaire who started with only, you know, millions from his father, (laughs) Um, I think it would be a real blow to his carefully crafted persona.
1: So Trump has four more trials coming up, criminal trials. Assuming he takes the same belligerent and even rule-breaking tone, what does this case tell us about what we can expect for those other cases to come?
0: I think this case tells us that we should expect four circuses to come, that Donald Trump will not go quietly, that he will not be like most litigants and follow the rules, that he will work to blow it up. That's uh, That's been his his MO from the start. He's a disruptor, and he will do everything he can to disrupt even administration of justice. And I think all of those prosecutors um, need to be prepared to deal with that.
1: In this civil case in New York, money is the punishment, Uh, brand identity, and potential loss of that is a punishment. But in those other cases, prison time is on the table. Could that force Donald Trump to try a different strategy?
0: I don't know. You know, he seems to have one strategy, which is to always be on the offensive. It seems to have worked for him most of his life. And my guess is he won't change that strategy now. I think that for him, the best defense is a good offense. And I think we're going to continue to see that.
1: Barbara McQuaid, I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Barbara McQuaid is a law professor at the University of Michigan and a former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We're led by Alicia Montgomery, with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations at Slate. And I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. Find me on Twitter. I'm at Yasmin Khan. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.